Welcome back to this week's edition of the Coles Brown Show. Watching her exclusively right here on the Black College Sports Network. I'm joined by two gentlemen right now. Morell Mo Carter of WZDX Huntsville, Fox 54 in Huntsville, Alabama, and A.D. Drew of the Black College Sports Network's Sports Wrap. Gentlemen, good morning to you. Good morning in your neck of the woods. Good afternoon where I'm at. Uh, that's correct. Good morning. Good afternoon. Thanks. Hey, good morning, guys. Good to see y'all as always. There you go. See, you played it smart. Say hello, guys. <laughs> I appreciate both of you here with me on, on the Coles Brown show. Uh, I want to start off talking to Alabama and them. Pick to win it in the East, coming off a of spring 2021 football championship. Mo, they are in fall camp. How has uh, fall camp been going so far for Alabama and them? Well, for the most part, I've been able to check out three of what their first seven or so practices. As a matter of fact, they just completed a scrimmage not too long ago on the Saturday morning, uh, ending right before the afternoon. And actually, things have been going you know, quite well. One thing Coach Connell Manor has said that's made it easier for his staff is the fact that they didn't lose that many people from the spring. So a lot of guys were already still on campus after the championship, during the summer, working out together, running drills, um, and then kind of understanding certain things. So when they were implementing their schemes, it wasn't as hard. And honestly, that's a good thing because the only people that really, really needed the adjustment were the new guys, maybe the transfers and, you know, the, you know, the incoming freshmen that they have, which aren't too many for the most part. But yeah, this team uh, collectively together, they're, made, they're ready to make another run for a swag football championship. Uh, yeah, they've even got their chip on the shoulder as far as the people saying it was a fluke in the spring. But at the same time, Kyle Manor told everybody at a swag media day, they're looking to become the first um, a football team to win a championship twice in one calendar year. And all that starts right now during their preseason camp. AD, I don't believe in putting the asterisk by Alabama and them. That's just me. And then also, advantage, disadvantage. Advantage for the teams that have played in the spring. They just pick it up. They can implement their, their game plans ahead of time. What say you, AD? That advantage will be gone by week three. I expect those teams that played in the spring to be a, come out a little bit sharper, a little bit crisper, because you can practice all you want to, but live reps are where you improve at. They have those live reps from the spring. By week three, all those teams who did not play in the spring will pretty much be caught up as far as the reps and uh, the soreness and the different things that come along with uh, with playing football. What I think is going to be interesting about Alabama A&M's schedule is the extra bye week that they have because they were unable to pick up an 11th game. Will that be an advantage or a disadvantage uh, for them? And that extra bye week comes early. So instead of being able to go off, you know, our most teams get, get that rhythm, play four, five games in a row, get that bye week when you really needed to recover from some injuries and get that mental break. They've got that one early, then they've got that normal bye week in their, in their schedule. So I'm really wondering how that's going to play with the Bulldogs this particular year. 
Well, I think advantage for those who I'll stick my guns. I think it's going to be advantage playing in the spring. Um, but we shall see. Mo defensively, Alabama and them. Would it be safe to say that defensively is where you want to look and see where there where it will be the most improvement defensively? Oh, absolutely. I mean, for the last couple of years, especially under Coach Connell Maynard and Coach Dwayne Taylor, the offensive coordinator, we know that Alabama A&M can score points, especially with senior quarterback Aquil Glass as the signal caller once again, the reigning Swipe Player of the Year and also Deacon Jones, HBCU National Player of the Year. So we know they can score a lot of points. It's always been a question about the defense. I know at certain points in time, especially guys who are like juniors and seniors, they went through a situation where during their career they had seen like three different defensive schemes. We're talking about different, different defensive schemes. Um, you saw them kind of make some uh, light of things this upcoming, well, this past spring. And now during the summer, of course, I think a lot of this is really, really starting to come together. On Thursday, that was their first day in uh, full gear. And of course, everybody except the quarterbacks were live. And early on throughout the one-on-one, excuse me, first team versus first team drills, the defense was getting the upper hands. Now, don't get me wrong. Glass was able to kind of move the offense down the field periodically, but when the big plays counted, the defense came out through. I'll give you a perfect example. Um, you know, they got a long pass or whatever on a double reverse type pass. Then all of a sudden they're down to the eight, seven yard line. They ran the play. They did a running play, got to about the five. After that, the defense shut them down. Second down, third down, and they went went for it on fourth down. And all three of those plays were great plays that were made by the defensive backfield. Then later on, they're just throwing pressure at glass and then batting balls down and whatnot. And it's not like Quill Glass was kind of, you know, taking a day off or anything. No, he was going at it the best way he could. And we even asked him afterward, and he said that, yeah, man, I can see improvements from this defense. They're a defensive coordinator, Granville Eastman. He's a guy who now is feeling comfortable with this team he has on that side of the ball, unit-wise. And, of course, they you know, they they did lose Marcus Cushney, who transferred to Florida State. But they added a lot of key pieces, man, and I'm talking about a lot. Osmond Savage is a guy um, that was making a lot of plays. And, of course, you know, you've got the other DB transfers like Tramel Trotman, and you also have um, uh, Adricus Connor, just to name a few, to go along the likes of Amari Holloway and Amari Holloway, along with Trenton McGee. So, yeah, the defense is definitely much improved. It's just going to be a matter of will that translate from the preseason to the upcoming season? Because if that Alabama AM defense is able to stop some folks, maybe even put up some other points, maybe via scoop and score or pick six. Along with that offense, then, you know, we could be looking at a repeat situation. And Coach Manor absolutely knows that. He knows his defense has to get better and even say, if we score points, we're going to be good. But we stop people from scoring points, they'll be even better. Now, now guys, and both of you can uh, talk on this point. Um, we talked about defense and Alabama and them improving. We know what they bring to the table offensively. Is there a point where – particularly you're in the, in the red zone, or you need to be able to run the football. Can Alabama and them improve on that aspect of their offense, running the football, getting those tough yards, getting those first downs? What do you think, A.D.? I don't know if they can, but they're going to have to. You cannot go uh, 
when the field is shortened, it's it's a defensive advantage for the defense when defending the passing game. You only have to defend 10, 15, 20, 20 yards instead of 40, 60, 80 yards behind me. Hey, we got to form a defensive back right here on the uh on the dais right here. Mo Carter can probably tell you about that better than I can, but as somebody who well, I wasn't the greatest football coach, but I did coach a little bit of high school football and everything. You know, we had to bend, but don't break philosophy. Yeah, get what you want to, uh, 20 to 20. But you were not going to score on us because the field is shorter. The stunts are by the defensive line are a little bit crisper because they have less uh, room to cover. The linebackers can play up if you even still have linebackers in the game because everybody's five five wide now. But you, you get my point. You you have to mix it up, even if it's nothing but a simple draw play, to in order to keep the defense honest. Uh, the bubble screens and and things like that. You know, the jet sweep doesn't work down on the twenty yard line. So the, the the crossing routes kind kind of tough down there when you're inside the twenty because that linebacker or that strong safety is right there to greet you to remind you, hey, it's not gonna be so easy, my uh, young fella. I, I kind of like to call it the the man zone. I know officially it's the, it's the red zone where you have to have success and teams that get in there touchdowns are much better than field goals, but you need both uh, as far as scoring points offensively. But Absolutely. talk about talk about Mr. Glass. Well, go, go ahead. Go ahead, Mo. You, you want to say something? Yeah, I want to go ahead and add to that rushing attack. No, AD is completely correct. Yeah, Alabama A&M's rushing attack will have to improve. Now, we did see flashes of brilliance during uh, the um, during the spring season from their running back, Gary Quarles. Of course, you know, he's a small guy, about 5'8", five, 5'9", five, and stuff, maybe about 175, 108 pounds tops and whatnot. So, of course, you know, if you're a big defensive lineman or you're a linebacker, lots of times you may not see him until he's almost two, three yards beyond the um, beyond the line of scrimmage. One thing about him, even though he's small but mighty, he's a guy that's very, very tough, and he's not afraid to run in between the tackles. Give you two perfect examples. Match City Classic, he was a guy that scored the first two offensive touchdowns for Alabama A&M. Yes, Glass was able to get the team down the field or whatever, uh, passing a ball, but it was once they got inside the 15 and the 10-yard line, they were giving it to Quarles, and he got them those early touchdowns. And, of course, they blew it open with a passing attack in the second half, but you got to give a lot of credit to Quarles for getting those tough yards during that. Then also in the, um, in the Swag Championship game, same thing. Yeah, Glass was able to nickel and dime the team down the field with a lot of passing attacks, but it was Quarles who got two touchdowns on the ground early on. And don't forget, even in that Jackson State game, it wasn't even from a rushing standpoint, a quick screen. The guy catches a quick screen, makes two guys miss, and then he's off to the races for a touchdown. So he's returning. They also have a transfer guy who's actually from the local area, Antonio Robertson. He was at Coastal Carolina for a couple of years. I did see some good things from him the first couple of days. Um, they're waiting to see if, you know, if he can kind of push Quarles for that starting position. And then you also have to take a look at the guy from LSU, Tay Province, who's also from the area. He's from Madison County High School and, uh, you know, got a chance to see him a couple of times. 
Not too bad, but of course, you know, he was kind of late getting to preseason camp. So we'll see what happens the rest of the way. So the rushing attack, it can be there, but they're going to have to earn a lot of things during this camp to get to the PT. That will make Alabama A&M an even more dangerous team offensively. They've improved the running game and then be consistently good in that aspect of uh, their football team offensively. And we also talked about defensively uh, showing some improvement early on in, in fall camp. Guys, if I can do this, then we know that FAMU and Jackson State kicks off their season. It's a classic. It's the opener, but it's also a conference game by October. Can I correct you on that, Carlo? I didn't correct you on one thing. It's not just a conference game. It's a division game. Right. Now I'll continue on with your statement. (laughs) Division game. It is important. The loser of that game is behind the eight ball right away. And then by October, in both divisions, we will see a clearer picture of the path to the championship. You guys agree or disagree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, of course, you know, I paid attention to some other people's schedules and whatnot, but absolutely with me being right here in Huntsville covering Alabama A&M, yes, I've taken a look at how that Orange Blossom Classic will play out and how it impacts Alabama A&M schedule. As a matter of fact, I've told so many people really since around the time we were rolling with Swag Media Days that the month of October, we may have a clear-cut division winner by <laughs> then. And here's why I say it from there. Look at it from Alabama A&M's perspective. Um, of course, they have their first SWAC game on a Thursday night against Bethune-Cookman. They'll take on Tuskegee um, in a non-conference game, and then they go to um, Grambling the first week of October. After that, October the 9th, Jackson State comes to Huntsville, so we get a chance to see Coach Connell Maynard go head-to-head against Coach Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, once again. Then the following week, Florida A&M comes to Huntsville. Alabama A&M gets a bye week, and then they have the Magic City Classic at the end of the month. If Alabama A&M is able to prevail in all of those games or maybe even drop one of those games, they have a good chance of basically being able to wrap up the East Division by the time the Magic City Classic rolls around. Because after that, the only remaining teams on their schedule are Arkansas Pine Bluff, Texas Southern, and Mississippi Valley. So, yeah, there's a good chance they could have October wrapped up with the SWAC East Championship. Now, of course, you have to play the entire season and whatnot. And Coach Connell Maynard will tell you, you have to play the entire season. As a matter of fact, he's not even worried about what the rest of the season is going to entail. He's worried about South Carolina State. I heard him the other day at practice say, hey, Buddy Pugh, longtime coach, great football player, great mind overall when it comes to the game of football. He was like, yeah, we went over there and we whipped them 31 to 7, but at the same time too, they're going to come into Huntsville the first weekend in September and be ready. Then he used the example of this. He was like, remember my first year here? We went to Arkansas Pine Bluff, beat them like 40-something to nothing. Pine Bluff came to Huntsville the next year, put up 50-something points on Alabama A&M. I think it was like 52 to 34 or something of that nature. He used that narrative and said, look, if Pine Bluff can do it, South Carolina State can do it as well. So he's getting his guys to focus on their team aspects and then also what's at hand for the Lewis Cruz Classic when they take on South Carolina State. 
So, hey, you know, the ultimate let's take it one game out of time mentality is being implemented on the hill here in Huntsville. Win the week, A.D. Coach Rodin used to say that. I'm actually going to take the opposite position of Mo Carter on this one. And I I know he has to be a a bit of a homer because he does work for uh, WCDX there in Huntsville. But Mo, I think it's going to be even more confusion by the end of October because I have said it more than once. No one on either side of the SWAC will go undefeated. No one on either side of the SWAC will go winless. Because of that, come the end of October, I'm thinking four, five, if not all six teams will mathematically still have a chance to win, especially on the east side. Hmm. You know, so that that's always been my philosophy. And yes, I even think Valley, the last week of October, would mathematically still be in the equation with a chance to win. You know, a win here and the right combination of this team losing and this team losing could could put them in the uh, in the hunt because, and I, I started best on this show before. Valley has a very favorable schedule. They do. That, that that's why I've uh, kind of looked at them. Even though everybody's picking Alcorn, Alcorn has the toughest schedule in the SWAC because of the six SWAC road games. Fam, you yeah. with six SWAC road games, but two of those road games are within the state of Florida. Uh, they open up with Jackson State uh, down in Miami, and then they close with Bethune in Orlando. The Miami game is definitely advantage FAMU. The game in Orlando, if there's any advantage in Orlando, honestly, I think the advantage is actually with Bethune. <laughs> All we got to do is look at the last nine years to uh, streak, see yeah. the advantage that Bethune has That's had. nine straight, right, A.B.? Nine yes. straight. <laughs> yes, yeah, the whole decade of the teams has belonged to, uh, to Bethune. One thing that I find interesting, though, uh, I think this may be the first time that I've seen both AM and State have a bye the week before the Magic City Classic. I find that real interesting. Usually one team or the other has the bye. Both teams have the bye this time. Uh, but before that bye, AM, you have the Battle of the AMs, Alabama AM versus FAMU. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jackson State will play Alabama State, and this is what I call Revenge of the Trolls from the game when Alabama State trolled uh, <laughs> Coach Prime on that one. So it's it, 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 it's going to be interesting. And you mentioned uh, the end of that schedule. That Valley game for A&M is a classic trap game for A&M coming off of the Magic City uh, Classic. Valley, and I'm going to put some pressure on them. And they're not expected from the outsiders to, 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 to be competitive, but they expect to be competitive. Correct. They got their toughest games at home, correct? Correct. That is that is pressure to me. I mean, in my humble opinion. And let's see how they start off with that home conference schedule. Um, 
You can't I'm, I'm looking at this. I'm looking at this schedule right anybody. now. No, you can't. You They've absolutely got Southern, can't Southern, Alcorn. No, excuse me. Southern, Alcorn, FAM, Jackson State, and Alabama State at home. Yeah. Well, Games I think the Southern game is in Jackson now. Yes, that's on a Sunday. Yeah, that's that. That's the one that moves. But, correct. But still in the state of Mississippi. Yes. Bro. And when Southern's on the road, it's not really technically a home game because of the way Southern travels well. Valley has a opportunity. I'll give them that. And they're at home against their tougher opponents. If they're able to, to, to win a couple of those games, then look out. But you can't sleep on anyone in the Absolutely game. You got to win it one week at a time. Absolutely not. And Carlos, look, I want to add kind of something or whatever to this context too. Um, and AD, you kind of brought this, you brought this to my attention or what about the end of the season. Here's one of here's another thing that's very interesting about how the schedules kind of all played out, especially in the East. When you look at Alabama AM schedule, it's favorable. I mean, they don't play all corn and they don't play Southern. So that's quite favorable right then and there. Also, let's look at the cross divisions as well, man. I mean, for, for a team like Florida A&M, the cross division, especially at the end of, well, near the end of the season, they've got Grambling, they've got Southern, and they've got Arkansas Pine Bluff in back-to-back-to-back weeks before they even take on Bethune-Cookman in the Florida Classic. Then we look at Jackson State. Looks like, look at the crossover division games. You've got Texas Southern, you've got Southern, and then you've got Alcorn in back-to-back-to-back weeks. So... When, and then you look at Alabama A&M, okay, you know, their cross-division stuff is only grambling early on in the season, and then they've got Texas Southern and Pine Bluff late in the season. Those cross-division games could really, really make or break it for one of these teams here in the East. And, I mean, like I said, A&M's got a favorable schedule because of the teams they're not playing this upcoming year. Um, Maynard will tell you, you know, respect all, fear none in that scenario. But us as media individuals, we're definitely looking at everything on paper and understanding that, hey, just when you think you may have things wrapped up, you still got to go against these other squads. And it does look like things will be a tad bit tougher for Jackson and for Florida A&M in the late portion of the season. And, you know, as you mentioned, nobody's probably going undefeated, but nobody's going winless at all because each and every week, everybody's bringing their A game. There's no off weeks this upcoming year. Yeah, that's the AD point. And I'm listening to you talking about that. No one's – I just don't see someone going undefeated in, in, in division of play, the conference, overall uh, win-loss record. But with that being said, I would add this, Alabama a and and I know Coach Maynard knows this, they're going to get everybody's best shot. Mm-hmm. Then so. so there are some advantages in the interdivisional schedule. There are some advantages in the home schedule, certain teams. But the bottom line is you've got to win the week, and it is going to be a long season, and it's going to be a tough one. I you, you can't wait. It the expectations are there, but man, you you can't you can't have an off week. Period. No, not period. at all. Yeah. And one other thing about AM schedule, and I'm just looking at this because I've I've got my master schedule right here. AM is one of, I believe, only two teams in the SWAC not to face an FBS team, i.e. the check game. The thing about the check games. 
They're good financially, but they're bad on the team because it always seems like after the check game, though you have those injuries, those nicks, and those bruises after the check game, not, not only physically, but their pride and some of that mental from those check games seems to linger on a week or two afterwards. So advantage A&M on that, not having any of those check games out there where they've got to go and take a butt whooping to get to uh, get some money into the program. Yeah. And that's interesting. Like Jackson State plays what? ULM? Yeah. Yep. That's their game. Southern plays um, Troy. Troy State. Troy. Um, also, Alcorn hosts Northwestern State. Fan now, plays but, but, Central. Alcorn's right. also got South Central Carolina. Florida. I mean, excuse me, South Alabama, too. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's correct. But to, to your point, I, I personally – I understand why they have those money games. I, I personally don't like them. And the point of the schedule where you play them, and I know injuries are part of the game, but you playing them in the first third of the season, the first game, some, uh, that, that, that's, that's where you play them. And you're not going to, per se, play a more talented or a team that has as much depth when you're playing up the FBS. So uh, hopefully you'll see less of those. At least in my humble opinion, but the director of athletics, I think they're going to have these games on a consistent basis. Because you've seen FAMU, some of their future non-conference games. Wow. Yes. Tough, tough, tough. So I guess if uh, AD and and Mo, it depends on the um, your your institution, your director of athletics. Yeah. Absolutely. It, it depends on your director of athletics. And also, I think it, a lot of it will also depend on your head coach as well, because a lot of head coaches do have a hand in helping select some of these games. Of course, they may not be the people that, you know, that sign the dotted line at the end of the day. But yeah, there are a lot of coaches who do have their hand in, um, you know, in doing that. When you look at, um, you know, the non-conference schedules, when it comes to playing, you know, the upper level teams, look at a team like Bethune-Cookman. They've got UTEP. Uh, yeah. week one, then they play UCF week two. Gus Malzahn's going over there to the Knights. And I mean, for the most part, dude is not at Auburn anymore. He's got not worried about all this pressure. So I'm pretty sure he's going to be trying to, you know, make his early impressions with that. So like BCU, they've got those two games, then have to play AM on a Thursday. I mean, you may have to give the advantage to AM on, on that scenario since, you know, since they are only playing, you know, one game in that first, you know, first two weeks and stuff. But as far as the scheduling aspect, yeah, um, it just really just depends on the schools. I think now, though, with the SWAC having 12 teams, um, I think we're probably going to see less of those bigger games and we may see more a non-conference FCS games because one thing Dr. Charles McClellan, the commissioner of the SWAG, has said is that he knows his conference is the premier HBCU conference, but he also wants it to be a premier FCS conference as well. Yeah. So that's why I applaud teams like AM playing South Carolina State. Um, I applaud Southern playing McNeese. I applaud Alcorn playing Northwestern. And, you know, and all these other schools that are playing other FCS teams to kind of help that FCS rating for the SWAC go up. And I think we're going to see more of that, you know, coming up, especially with still some crossing changes coming up 
um, across the landscape of college football, especially on the FCS level. Um, you know, the A-Sun, they're about to create their own football conference. So I'm paying attention to that with North Alabama and Kennesaw State and Jacksonville State. You know, so you kind of wonder what's going to happen with some of those schools. But, hey, those schools are going to need teams to schedule. So with that being said, would not be surprised we see additional schools get on the future schedules. But, hey, I'm only looking at it from a media standpoint. I'm not the one that signs the checks at the end of the day or signs on the dotted line. I understand. And, and A.D., Grambling State, we, we didn't mention them, but they, they start off with Tennessee State, but then they play up two FBS teams back-to-back seasons. So, man, that, 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 that that's extremely tough. One other thing we got to keep in mind uh, – May not necessarily be the coach and or the AD, but it may be the president and board of trustees or board of regents or what, whatever you call it uh, for that particular university, putting pressure on the athletic program to go out and uh, get some funding, especially when the fundraising may be laxed and then coming out of COVID because we all know contributions uh, have not been the same this year because people most people were not able to give what they normally give back to their university. Agreed. Which may be another reason why you may see for the next year or two a few more of those quote-unquote check games mm -hmm. uh, as people try to recover and get their program back where they need to be and upgrade facilities and, and add scholarships or wh whatever, the, whatever the financial reason is for it. Well, no, you're well, right, man. So well, so wait a minute, AD. Are you saying that coaches now have another role to play besides coaching? They have to help raise funds and, and the director of athletics, which should be totally their job to do that. And then, by the way, you mentioned, uh, I call them the people of influence. Board yeah, of they, it, it, it's always been, it's yeah, always well, been part of the game. The director of athletics, they up the fundraising event. But who do they want to talk to? The head okay. coach? Or a player, so the, the so he's got dual roles involved in this. Yeah, he, he's got dual roles, and, and I guess my situation is those above the coaches, the AD and the presidents, um, seem like they should be uh, traveling buddies, and they're out there. To your point, especially now, in um, we're still in COVID, but even post COVID, raising those necessary dollars. I guess I'm being facetious, AD. The coaches have to had another job title of duties to, to their resume. That's and why you need to be that, That's why CEO coaches in, in right now may do a little bit better than those hands-on coaches. Just just my just my personal opinion. What, what were you saying, Mo? You, I was just going to say um, the thing about, like, the ADs and the coaches traveling together. Yeah, some coaches do do that. Some coaches do do that. I know with COVID right now, you know, we're not seeing like the such and such state tour or anything of that nature, but we've seen those things in the past. Right, and right. Major and majority of the time, who is, who is it usually? It's usually the athletic director, the head football coach, and then maybe another springtime coach or something. Um, I know Coach Maynard's first year here, um, he went to, you know, he had to go to Mobile for like the first year of the Gulf Coast uh, Challenge press conference, which was like early summer or so, but it was he, it was A.D. Hicks, and also they took the women's basketball coach, Coach Margaret Richards, and like they made a stop there. They made a stop in Birmingham. And they went somewhere else. It just kind of just 
I can't think about the place right now, but I know they did like, you know, three or four different cities or whatever. And, you know, that's just a perfect example of what they were doing. But other coaches have kind of, you know, done the same thing. And I'm pretty sure um, it's, you know, kind of the same thing across the board in general. And also, Carlos, uh, I got a chance to look at another schedule. Arkansas Pine Bluff is another one. They've got Central Arkansas, which they go to them. Then they're going to play the University of Arkansas in Little Rock, um, which, you know, usually every year, Arkansas, University of Arkansas, the Razorbacks, they always play one game every year in Little Rock since, you know, Fayetteville's a little far away and whatnot. Um, so those are big check games that Arkansas Pine Bluff will get. And honestly, they'll probably even get, they'll get more of the money just primarily because those are bus rides for uh, from Pine Bluff to Conway, Arkansas, and also from Pine Bluff to Little Rock. So probably got to even worry about the hotels in any way, shape, or form in that either. And, and back to a good point. Um, also, I think it's called Athletic Tours. Mm, and, yes, uh, Athletic Tours. Usually they do it, they, 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 they do it in the summertime, and you, you take uh, specific coaches, particular coaches from each sport, and, and, and you go around. As a matter of fact, after Swag Football Media Day, as I was leaving I got a chance to share a conversation with Courtney Gauthier, AD of FAMU. And uh, I basically asked him what the schedule looks like going forward. He was about to get to Chicago. And they had been on the tour. And uh, Rattler Nation, Rattler's Nation have been really supportive. And so, uh, you know, again, I was just kind of being facetious with AD about the coaches and having their their their, their roles. But uh Guys, it's going to be interesting as we wrap this up because, again, scheduling and where opponents fall on that schedule is important. Uh, home games, important. You can't have an off week. Mm-mm. You cannot. You can't overlook, underestimate anybody. This is some of the things that we've kind of discussed on, on, on this segment. And it's going to be exciting. Uh, it's also high expectations, and it's also for some pressure. Yeah. So, a, a quick uh, wrap up from each, both of you. Well, I I go first because I I got a question that I want to put out here for a debate. We saw the stats FCS rankings come out with North Carolina A and T being the only HBCU that was ranked. We kind of know why the SWAC teams were, were not ranked because the SWAC really hasn't beaten any other FCSs outside of themselves in, in the last umpteen years, it seems like. My question to you two gentlemen as followers of HBCU football is, we know the Celebration Bowl is dubbed the national championship game for Division One level. What will it take for A&T to be named the Dasher champion over the Celebration Bowl winner mm-hmm. for each of you. They've, they've earned it in the Celebration Bowl for the last five years. Now they don't get to go to the Celebration Bowl, but are we, you know, they still are a HBCU, as most people would consider them for their individual Black College National Champion. That's why I throw this out. Yeah, interesting. Um, for this season, the schedule is already out, correct? Correct. I, I would think they're going to, and maybe not this year, but I think they're going to still play some HBCUs in their non- non-conference schedule, correct? 
Yeah. And, and it yes. kind of goes back to kind of what we were saying in the last segment. Um, you be you win against each other, but I think it, a next factor you look at the non-conference schedule. Which they have Central and South Carolina State in addition to Hampton as far as HBCUs on their schedule. Right. So, so they've got three. I think they'll be in the discussion if they're successful against those non-conference, which are HBCU opponents. Um, well, and, but will they be successful though? In order for you to to jump them over the Celebration Bowl winner is my question. Ooh, that yeah, okay. As a na- that, as our national champion. Yeah, I, that's I, that's a head scratcher. Certain bitch marks. Yeah, that that that's a head scratcher and. The reason why I say that is, and okay, let me say it like this. All of us know um, that, yes, the Celebration Bowl is a championship for the HBCUs, but we also know that there are other media entities that present championship trophies as well. Um, BCSN has done so. Dr. Cavill presents his own. Now, most of the time, oh, and Box to Row as well. Now, most of the time, usually all of them are collectively selective in one team. Every once in a while, you get one, you know, that's a quote-unquote split, give or take. In this situation, this how this how I was seeing. Keep in mind, I have no vote towards this or what. I only report what the people are putting out there. When I'm looking at North Carolina A and T schedule, of course, yeah, you know they face the likes of Hampton, they face the likes of uh, South Carolina State, and they've also got NC Central in the annual Aggie Eagle Classic, which is now be playing in September. To answer your question, AD, what I think is not only will they have to be successful against those teams, they're also going to have to be successful in the Big South Conference, which will be no pushover. When you have top 25 teams like Monmouth and Kennesaw State on your schedule and you literally have to go through them to get to the top of the Big South, I really think we're going to need to see how competitive they are against them and probably they're going to need a victory against them plus a victory in the FCS playoffs as well for the people who vote or whatever on the other media entities to have North Carolina A&T considered in uh, in that scenario. I mean, I know it happened a few years ago with Tennessee State. I think it was the 2014 season. Pre-celebration bowl, though. Yeah, there was no, yeah, this was like, what, the year, or maybe I think the year or two years before Celebration Bowl correct, or whatever, uh, but that, that that's like the best comparison I can really use because I think they won like two FCS playoff games that year, if I'm not mistaken. They won one for sure, but I think they won two that year. So I, in my opinion, I think that's what's going to have to happen um, with that moving forward. And it's, it's interesting you mentioned that for the FCS stats poll, because when it comes to the FCS coaches poll, it's like yeah. the complete opposite. North Carolina A&T is nowhere to be found in that top 25. And you got Alabama A&M and Southern ranking 19 to 20th, respectively. So it's like, okay, what are we looking at? Who knows more? The media knows more. Do the coaches know more? You know, that's always an interesting question when you look at the rankings also. It's kind of like you remember years ago, the AP poll and the the coaches poll, it was uh, a discrepancy, you know, in in, in both of those polls. But uh, Correct. Yeah. Just my opinion on it. Uh, In order for me to vote A&T, as the number one team over the Celebration Bowl winner, they have to win two playoff games. Because if you consider the Celebration Bowl a postseason game, mm-hmm. that's one postseason bowl win for Bianca Swack, Swack champion. A&T 
if they win one game, they will be on, on par with them. I have to go with the Celebration Bowl winner. If they win that second round game, then I I would feel confident enough to elevate A&T over the Celebration Bowl winner. Just my uh, just my take on it and how I'm going to have it play out on when uh, when I vote. I think it's something that we'll go back and forth with that as the season as we progress through the, the football season. But that was very interesting what you brought up, uh, AD and uh, Mo. I, I, I agree with you as well. Um, and here's another scenario. thing. To, here's another thing to add on to what AD is also saying too. So of course uh, we know you have the people who get the automatic bids into the FCS playoffs. Um, if A&T either gets an at-large or they, you know, or somehow they do win the Big South, that means that they went through a couple of top 25 teams. And if they win at least two games in the um, FCS playoff, that means that they probably are beating another team that either was an at-large, who was probably a runner-up, and then the next round, most likely a top 25, a seeded team as well. So I see exactly where you're coming from with that, AD, from the terminology standpoint. Will it happen? I mean, we've got so many months left to see how that all plays out. But that, that'll be an interesting scenario. No, Lord, don't let, don't let Jay Walker get, uh, get that idea during the Celebration Bowl because, oh. man, <laughs> you're going to see all kinds of hate on social media at that point in time. And I'm listening to you guys discuss this. I still go back to Miak and the SWAC in their non-conference games. They're going to have to start beating their brethren, FCS teams, play them and beat them. And that games. 100% agree. Absolutely. 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 That's why I think really you're going to see from the SWAC teams um, moving forward. I really, really do think that. And the other thing we have to think about this too, of course, we're still in COVID time. So like, you know, wait till some of these other classic games that we usually would have, you know, get back to their footing and whatnot. I don't think Chicago's doing their classic game this year. We know Detroit's not doing theirs until they get better footing and whatnot. But remember, had we not had COVID, we would have seen Southern versus Tennessee State week one in uh, in Detroit. So, I mean, think about, like, what that game would have looked like last year as well. And I saw that – I think Circle City is doing one, but I think they, they've made – Benedict, Kentucky teams. State. Okay. Uh, so, they've made two conference teams move a game over for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so think about once they actually get their footing back under them or whatever to where you might be able to have legit non-conference crossover matchups. Um, you know, those things that are to be considered moving forward too. Of course, everybody's got to do their part to help these other uh, classics get back to where they want to get to as well. So it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out, though, Carlos. Speaking of, that, speaking of that Circle City Classic, please go back and watch the previous edition of the BCSN Sports Wrap. You have to hear Brian Fulford's rant on the Circle City Classic. And his disappointment with the people in Indiana, in Indianapolis, especially as an Indianapolis native on the matchup. Oh, yeah, it is in that neck of the woods. Yes. I had a chance to participate in one of the Circle City Classics, so it will uh, definitely, I look forward to getting back to that again. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Carlos Brown Show. Remember, you can always watch it 
from 10 a.m. to 12 noon Central Standard Time and 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Until next time when we meet, peace and God bless. Ahala. you're looking for the latest information on Southern University Sports, the Southwestern Athletic Conference, and HBCU Athletics, there's only one place to go. Tune in to the Carlos Brown Show exclusively on the Black College Sports Network.